Well, good morning, everybody. Welcome to Alpine Church. It is great to be with you guys here this morning. Thank you so much for worshiping with us. And I just want to say again, if it happens to be your first time here at Alpine, thank you for checking us out. We hope that you feel very welcome today. It really is our desire that we could help you pursue God today. And I also just want to say a big welcome to all of you who are watching online right now and worshiping with us to the online service. I want to thank the guys in the booth who helped make that happen, and Pastor Jody and all the volunteers who administer that. It is definitely a blessing, so thanks for being with us today. If we haven't met before, my name's John Bellis. I'm the lead pastor up at the Alpine Logan campus, and then I also get the opportunity to teach at other Alpine campuses about once every month, and it's great to be back in Riverdale. And today we're at the midweek point of this five-week sermon series that we've been going through in the book of Jonah. And I hope that you've enjoyed this series so far. I I hope you've been encouraged by it. And it really is my prayer that you have come to know the character of God more deeply through this series. Because we learn a lot about the character of God in this little four-chapter book. We learn about his power. We learn about his sovereignty. We learn about his might. And we definitely learn about his mercy and his patience. In fact, the big idea for the series, whoops, went too far, is that the story of Jonah is about the God of miracles who's willing to let everyone off the hook for their sins. Now, we use this phrase, let off the hook, because it ties in with a pretty amazing fish story. But let's make sure we're all clear on what we mean by letting us off the hook. God doesn't let us off the hook by just looking the other way. God isn't flippant about sin. Every single one of our sins is an affront to a perfect, holy, and righteous God and needs to be paid for. And the Bible says the wages of that sin is death. But because God is merciful, because he is gracious, he sent his son who went to the cross and paid that debt that we should have paid, and that's how you and I can be let off the hook for our sins. Our theme verse for this series comes from Jonah chapter 4, which we're going to dig into next week. But Jonah is talking, and he says, I knew that you are a merciful and compassionate God, slow to get angry and filled with unfailing love. You are eager to turn back from destroying people. Now we're going to learn next week that Jonah is actually kind of grumbling and complaining about God's mercy and compassion when he testifies to it, but that doesn't make his words any less true. God is a merciful and compassionate God. See, maybe you came here today and you thought that God is cruel or that he's apathetic. Maybe you're in the middle of a really tough situation and you feel like God has abandoned you. Or even worse, maybe you feel like he's smiling and kind of laughing at what you're going through. I can promise you that is not the case. The God is a good God and his heart breaks when we go through difficult things. And so if you find yourself in a tough spot right now, I just pray that you'll hang in there and hang in with us as we continue to dig in the book of Jonah and allow God to reveal more and more about his mercy and compassion to you. Today's message is titled, When Jonah Preached. Now, if you've been with us through the series, you know that God called Jonah to go and preach a message of repentance to the city of Nineveh, which was the capital city of the Assyrian Empire. 
And Assyria was hostile to Jonah and his country and to his people. And initially, Jonah didn't go. In fact, he tried to get as far away as he could in the exact opposite direction of Nineveh. And we looked at that in week one. And we saw that as Jonah was trying to flee, that God brought a storm upon the seas and upon the boat that he was in. And we saw in week one how God used Jonah's disobedience to draw the sailors of that boat to himself. That in the midst of that storm, God made himself known to those pagan sailors. That may be one of the reasons for the storm you're in right now. Maybe God is desiring to make himself known to you. Then Jonah eventually gets tossed overboard by the sailors, and as they do that, the sea becomes calm, and then Jonah gets swallowed by this great fish. And once inside the fish, he, he thinks he's dead. And he goes to God in prayer and he repents. And we, we looked at that rock bottom prayer last week. That was last week's message. Then God causes the fish to spit Jonah out onto the beach. And thankfully, Jonah is going to get a second chance to preach the message that God called him to preach. And that's because God is a God of second chances. That's our first point for today's sermon. Did you guys ever play games as a kid and in the middle of one you, you didn't do something right and so you declared a do-over? Like, I just want a do-over. I know if I just had a second chance, I would get it right. Or do we have any golfers in here? Can you guys play golf? I'm not much of a golfer. When my dad was alive, I would play golf about three or four times a year, always with him. We'd go on Father's Day, we'd go on his birthday, and then usually once or twice. And And I loved playing golf with my dad because he had a one mulligan rule for every nine holes. So somewhere along, and he didn't even make me do it from the tee box. He would let me do it any time. Like he was generous with it. So sometime during that nine holes, he would give me a do-over. Now the problem was I needed about 20 do-overs and he only gave me one. But it was still always a joy to play with him. Well, today we're going to get to see Jonah's do-over. Today we get to see Jonah's mulligan. So we pick up the story in verse 1 of chapter 3. If you have your Bible with you or have your Bible app, go ahead and turn there now with me. Jonah 3, 1 through 3, says, Then the Lord spoke to Jonah a second time, Get up and go to the great city of Nineveh and deliver the message I have given you. This time, Jonah obeyed the Lord's command and went to Nineveh, a city so large that it took three days to see it all. The Lord spoke to Jonah a second time. Now, what an encouraging phrase. God didn't have to use Jonah. God could have said, Jonah, you blew it. He could have kicked him off to the side. He could have written him off. There were plenty of other prophets God could have used. God didn't even have to use a prophet if he didn't want to. God is God. He could have communicated to the city of Nineveh in any way that he wanted to through signs and wonders. But God wanted to use Jonah. See, God didn't just want to do something through Jonah. God wanted to do something in Jonah. And I think God still works the same with you and me today. So maybe God has called you to do something and you found yourself hesitating. Or maybe you've even found yourself running like Jonah did. God doesn't want to give up on you. Because God not only wants to do something through you, God wants to do something in you. God wants to grow your faith. Or maybe God wants to grow your understanding of how good and how loving he is. 
Or maybe God's just trying to help you recognize just how dependent you are on him, how much you need him, whatever it is, God's not giving up on you. Now, God's call to Jonah the second time around is a little different, though. So this time, God didn't tell Jonah ahead of time everything that he wanted him to say. He basically told him to go to Nineveh, and then he would get further instructions. Now, in the New Living Translation that we use here on Sunday mornings, it says, the message I have given you. But the majority of the translations say, the message I tell you, the message I give you, or the message I will give you. So based on the original Hebrew language, almost all of the commentaries that you'll read on this say that God was basically telling Jonah, you go to Nineveh, and then I'll tell you the rest of the story. Does God ever lead you like that? God just tells you the next step, but you want to know the whole story? You're like, God, well, how's it going to turn out? I need to know the full picture here. And God says, no, I'm just going to tell you the next step. And I want you to step out in faith and obey. So when God leads us like that, how do we respond? Do we step out in obedience? Do we hesitate? Do we run like Jonah did? See, the first time around, God gave Jonah the whole story and he ran. And I think God knows that in our weakness sometimes, if he were to give us the whole story, we would run the other direction. So he just tells us the next step. And he calls us to step out and be obedient in faith. And it really shouldn't surprise us that God gave Jonah a second chance. That's just part of who he is. It's part of his character. He is a patient God. He is long-suffering. He loves redemption and reconciliation. And it shouldn't have surprised Jonah either. Jonah knew all about the second chances God had given the nation of Israel. You know, as you're reading through the Old Testament, it kind of reads like a bad record, doesn't it? just keeps playing over and over again. The, the nation of Israel drifts from God. They begin to worship other gods, and things go horrible for them. And they cry out for God's mercy, and he steps in, and all is well. And then shortly afterwards, they start to drift away again, and they begin to worship other gods, and disaster strikes, and they call out to God, and he comes in, and he saves the day. And we see that pattern over and over and over. The Bible tells us that God is the same yesterday, today and forever. So you need to know that God is still the God of second chances. Some of you may feel like you've burned up all your chances with God. Well, I can promise you, if you're still this side of the grave and Jesus hasn't come back yet, God will give you another chance. And the last part of this verse says that this time Jonah obeyed the Lord's command and he went to Nineveh. See, Jonah had learned the hard way how futile it is to try and run from God. But it wasn't just that. Jonah had experienced God's power and God's mercy and God's forgiveness on the sea and in the belly of the fish. And so now with an even stronger trust, with an even stronger awareness of God's goodness, he's ready to obey. And that brings us to our next point. That God's message is simple and powerful. We see the message that Jonah preached in Jonah 3, 4. It says, on the day Jonah entered the city, he shouted to the crowds, 40 days from now, Nineveh will be destroyed. On the day Jonah entered the city, he shouted to the crowds. He didn't spend a few days wandering around trying to figure out how they were going to respond. 
He wasn't trying to build allies for himself there in case things went wrong. No, on the very day that he entered the city, he began preaching the message God had given him. He obeyed immediately, and he obeyed fully. And here's the message that he preached. Forty days from now, Nineveh will be destroyed. That's it? (laughs) That's what all the running was about? That's the message he was so scared over? It seems like a pretty straightforward message. Now, These probably weren't the only words that he spoke. There was probably a little more to it, but this was definitely the central theme to the message. And it wasn't an eloquent message filled with persuasive words. Jonah simply passed on the very words that God had told him to speak. The words of God are powerful. God spoke the world into existence. We don't have to try and dress up God's words. We don't have to try to add to them to make them more powerful. They are as powerful as they need to be. You know, every time I preach, I ask God, please don't let me say anything that you don't want me to say. But please make sure I say everything you want me to say. And notice, too, that this was a message of judgment. This was a message of destruction, This wasn't a message to the Ninevites about how much God loved their city. He said, in 40 days, you're going to be wiped out. I think that should be instructive to us. Yes, God is a God of love. Yes, God is a God of compassion and mercy and patience, and we should talk about that. But God is also just. God is also holy. God hates sin. And one day, people that we know and love who've never put their faith in him are going to face God's judgment if they haven't put their trust in Jesus, and we should be telling them that. See, the Apostle Paul knew how powerful the simple message of the gospel was. In 1 Corinthians 1.18, he says, The message of the cross is foolish to those who are headed for destruction, but we who are being saved know it is the very power of God. God's message is powerful. Again, in 1 Corinthians 2, verse 1, Paul says the following, When I came to you, brothers, I did not come with eloquence or superior wisdom as I proclaimed to you the testimony about God, for I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Now, I don't think Paul is saying that preachers shouldn't be engaging that they shouldn't develop their giftings and work on their craft. I think they should. The Bible says that we are to do everything as under the Lord, so it's honoring to God if, if I work on that skill, if I try to develop my gift of teaching. I think that is important. I desire to teach in a way that is clear and compelling. We should all do that from the pulpit. But my friends, if you're paying more attention to the messenger than the message, something's off. Something's missing. That's one of the reasons I love the way we do the team teaching approach here at Alpine because it it helps us to avoid making it all about the messenger and instead more about the message. And it's also great as we're prepping a sermon because we've got multiple guys who are reading that passage and talking about it and praying about it and making sure that we are communicating exactly what God wants us to communicate. Because right now in our culture, so many people are being led astray by men who have a ton of charisma and who are dynamic speakers, but they are not teaching the simple, powerful message of the Word of God. 
Paul warned Timothy about that all the way back in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 3. He says, For a time is coming when people will no longer listen to sound and wholesome teaching. They will follow their own desires and they will look for teachers who will tell them whatever their itching ears want to hear. That's happening all around us. So don't be drawn to the most dynamic or charismatic teacher. Be drawn to the guy who's teaching the simple, powerful message of the Word of God. The next thing I see in verse 4 is that even though the message was simple, Jonah proclaimed it with boldness. It says he shouted to the crowds. He wasn't just muttering this in the back alleys. He wasn't whispering this to people that he thought it would be safe to whisper it to. He was shouting to the crowds. He knew that he was passing on the very message, the very words of God, and so he was emboldened by that. I pray that for Alpine Church. I pray for that boldness for us. I pray that all of us, not just us who are teaching from behind the pulpit, but every single Alpiner would be bold in the proclamation of the gospel. That doesn't mean that we have to be rude. It doesn't mean that we have to be arrogant. It doesn't mean that we have to be insensitive. You don't have to do any of those things to be bold. But it does mean that we don't hold back on the gospel. It does mean that we talk about all of the realities of the gospel. It means that we're clear that all of us are broken by sin. That every single one of us falls short of God's glorious standard. That the Bible says the wages of our sin is death. That we deserve death and destruction. But because of God's grace and mercy, he didn't leave us there. He sent his son Jesus who lived the perfect life that none of us could live and he went to the cross and he paid the debt that we should have paid. And when we come to him and we say, Jesus, I need a savior. I know that I'm broken. I know I can't fix myself. I know that I've run from God and I need you to rescue me. The Bible says something amazing happens. That he takes our guilt and shame and we get to trade that for his righteousness. That's the gospel. And that's what we're going to boldly declare. And if we ever stop boldly declaring that here, you need to find another church. Because we're going to stick to the simple, powerful message of God. And that's going to bring us to our last point for today. Every generation gets to make its own choice. The Assyrians, the Ninevites, were the last people you would have expected to repent. Like in a time when torture was commonplace, the Assyrians had cranked it up a notch. They were known to do mass executions by impaling people and just leaving them on the poles for all to see. They were known to skin alive the people they had conquered and then they would nail their skins to the wall of the city as a reminder to anyone who might want to choose to disobey the authority there. If you've watched the VeggieTales version, they even slap each other with fish. It's brutal. (laughs) But in spite of all this, they repented when they heard the word of God. God's word penetrated their hearts. If we go back to the story, we're going to pick it up in verse 5. It says, The people of Nineveh believed God's message, and from the greatest to the least, they declared a fast and put on burlap to show their sorrow. The people of Nineveh believed God's message. Repentance always starts with believing God. 
That's how repentance always starts. It talks about how they put on uh, burlap and how they fasted. They were literally in mourning. And they weren't in mourning because they had sinned in front of a holy God. They were in mourning because they thought they were going to be destroyed. Because when Jonah said, God says, we're going to destroy you in 40 days, they believed that was a real thing. They believed it was going to happen. Now, I doubt any of us have heard from God that he's going to destroy us in 40 days. But our repentance starts with believing God as well. We believe God when he says that we should worship him and no one else or nothing else. We believe him when he says that we shouldn't lie, steal, kill, or commit adultery. We believe him when he says we need to forgive others just as we have been forgiven. We believe him. You know, the word confession, which accompanies repentance, literally means to agree with. It means to speak the same thing. And so our repentance starts by believing God and agreeing with God. If you've never put your trust in Jesus, the very first step is believing what God says about you. Believing when God says that you're broken, that you're a sinner and you need a rescuer. But also believing that God says, I love you so much that I sent my son into the world that if you put your faith in him, you won't perish but have everlasting life. I think it's important to remind ourselves that the Ninevites would have never believed God if they hadn't heard the word of God. Revival always starts with the faithful preaching of God's word. That's how people come to believe what God says. Now, obviously, that should start at the pulpit, but it shouldn't end there. Each and every one of us should be doing that in our homes and in our workplaces and in our schools so that people have an opportunity to believe God. That's why one of our core values at Alpine Church is we're on mission with Jesus. And the Ninevites hear this message and they plead to God. They're pleading for his mercy, even though they didn't really have a relationship with him. In fact, if we continue on in the story, we get to this point where the king hears Jonah's message. It says that the king also put on burlap and he sat in a heap of ashes. He mourned. And then he and the nobles sent out a decree that called everyone to fast, including the animals. So not a single person or a single uh, livestock had anything to eat or drink during this fast. And it says the following in verse 9. Who can tell? Perhaps even yet God will change his mind and hold back his fierce anger from destroying us. So the Ninevites were pleading to God's mercy. They were hoping that their change in attitude and their change in behavior would, would cause God to relent, but they didn't know. God had never promised that. That wasn't part of Jonah's original message that if you repent, I won't destroy you in 40 days. The message was just in 40 days, I'm going to wipe you out. And they didn't have a relationship with God. They didn't know God's track record. They didn't know that God was long-suffering. They didn't know that God is a God who loves to give second chances. Maybe you can relate to that today. Maybe you recognize that that you've sinned against God time and time again, that you've run from God, and maybe you're not sure if he wants to forgive you. You know he can, but you're not sure if he wants to. Well, we have this amazing promise in the New Testament in 1 John chapter 1. It says, but if we confess our sins to him, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all wickedness. 
God longs to forgive you. God longs to give you another chance. Now, that doesn't mean you might not have to face consequences on this earth for those sins. You know, I'm mentoring a young man in Logan right now who, who made some really bad decisions, who, who did some things that have him in trouble with the law, and he, is, he has since put his faith in Christ. But he might still get jail time. He's aware of that. He's prepared for that. But he knows when God looks at him, God has already removed those sins as far as the east is from the west because he's put his faith in Jesus and the blood of Jesus has covered those. See, when you think of the Ninevites, and you think of how wild it is that they repented, what person or people group comes to mind that maybe you've given up on? That person that you've been praying for for years, but it just doesn't seem like anything has changed. Or that people group that you think is just too far from God to ever want to repent and come to him. That individual that you just think is beyond God's reach. I would just encourage you, stick with it. God's not calling you to change their heart. Only God can change hearts. Only God can do what only God can do. But God is calling you to continue to pray for them. Continue to share his simple and powerful message with them. You never know where God is working. God used fishermen and tax collectors to change the world. God used a religious terrorist when he appealed to Saul on the road to Damascus and ended up using him to write the majority of the New Testament. You never know where God is working. Don't put limits on him. Just be faithful what he has called you to do. God has had to remind me of that so many times over the years. You know, just recently I was preparing to give a sermon up at the Logan campus and a, a really good friend of mine found out that I was going to be preaching and he said, hey, I want to come and hear you preach. Uh, he's a guy that I've, I've known for, gosh, probably 11, 12 years now. We play volleyball together and I said, sure, come on in. Now, my, my good friend is a, a very devout follower of a different religion. And as he came in that day, one of the key points of the message was the deity of Jesus Christ, the fact that Jesus is both fully God and fully man. And the religion that my friend's a part of doesn't believe that Jesus is fully God. So as he came in that day, I just said, hey, man, I want to warn you. Some of the stuff I'm going to teach today is probably going to give you a little bit of heartburn. I said, but I hope we have a close enough relationship that if it does, after the sermon, we can just talk through it and talk about it. And he said, of course. So service starts. I give the message. The message is done, and I'm praying with some people up front, and I look back, and he's still sitting in the back of the room. And he's still sitting in the back of the room. And I get done with everybody else. And I'm like, okay, well, it's time to go have this debate about the deity of Jesus. So I came up to him and he said, did you change the sermon because I was here? I was like, no, I don't change what I think God wants me to say based on who's here and who's not here. So I didn't change it. He said, well, nothing you said gave me heartburn. And I said, how can you say that? I know the, the religion that you follow doesn't teach that Jesus is fully God. And he said, well, I don't necessarily believe everything my religion teaches. I was shocked. This is a guy who serves every week at his church, who plays the organ in his church, who has had tons of other callings in his church. But God's word was simple and powerful that day. And it began to sink in and it began to get to his heart. And he started to think that Jesus is fully God. So keep praying for him. Keep praying for me. We're still talking through that. We're still having conversations about that. But you just never know where God is working. On the outside looking in, you would never think that this guy was questioning his religion. I want to wrap this up with verse 10 in chapter 3. If you have your Bibles there and you want to go there. It says, When God saw what they had done and how they had put a stop to their evil ways... 
he changed his mind and did not carry out the destruction he had threatened. God didn't carry out the judgment on that generation. They had repented. And their repentance was genuine. Their repentance started with believing, just like it does for all of us. They believed that God was going to do what he said he was going to do. You know, the, the word that's most often translated repentance in the New Testament is metanoia. And it literally means a changing of the mind. It means that we begin to agree with God about what he's saying to us and about us. But that changing of the mind leads to a change in behavior. In verse 10, it says that God saw what they had done, past tense, and how they had put a stop to their evil ways. Now, this wasn't a surprise to God. In God's omniscience, God knew ahead of time they were going to repent. He knew that he was going to relent. He knew he wasn't going to destroy that particular generation. And I wish I could tell you that everyone lived happily ever after. But unfortunately, every generation has to make its own choice. And the subsequent generation in the city of Nineveh turned away, no longer repented. And 150 years after Jonah, God totally destroyed the city of Nineveh. And even our prophet Jonah, he didn't live happily ever after. He got all pouty and whiny and complaining that God relented and that God was merciful. That's what we're going to look at next week. As we wrap up today, my prayer for you is that you would know that God is still a God of second chances. That if you've had a relationship with him, but maybe you've wandered, maybe you've drifted, or maybe you've flat out run the opposite direction like Jonah did, that God is calling you back to himself. That God longs to embrace you with open arms if you'll just repent, if you'll just start believing what he says about you and about sin. And if you've never begun a relationship with God through Jesus Christ, again, your first step is to believe. Believe what God says about you. Believe that you're broken and that you need a Savior. Believe that he loves you and he gave that Savior for you in the person of Jesus Christ. If you want to talk about that more after the service, I would love to have that conversation. I'm sure the person who invited you here today would love to have that conversation. And then for the rest of us, I pray that we would be asking God, who needs to hear that simple powerful message of the gospel and then when God puts someone on our hearts that we'd be quick to obey and quick to share it let's pray Lord God I I thank you that your message is simple I thank you that that it was simple enough that as a seven and a half year old boy I knew I needed a savior I knew I needed someone to rescue me I knew that my sins deserved death and destruction And God, I thank you that even though your message is simple, it's so powerful and so deep that I'm still learning about it. I'm still learning about your great love, about your compassion. I'm still learning about just how broken I really am. And so God, I just want to lift up anyone here today who has never begun that first step of believing what you say. Just pray, God, that you would soften their heart. And I pray today might be the day that they would step out in faith. God, for those who are in here today that are in the middle of a storm, God, I don't know what your purpose is in that storm, but I know you have one. I know you want to use it for their good and for your glory, and so I just pray that you would do that, and I pray that they would see that. And then lastly, God, for those of us that that you just put someone on our heart and on our mind that needs to hear the simple, powerful message of the gospel, God, would you just cause us to follow through and be obedient and step out in faith and do it. I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.